0: understand what it is you're trying to achieve and stick with it. Stick with it because it's really easy to get distracted and to say, oh, so-and-so is doing this or, oh, you know, they're buying notes and those guys are doing tax liens and that guy over there is doing foreclosures and you just like want to do it all. And that's where you get in trouble. So come up with your strategy, get really good at it before you look at anything else. (laughs) If you're a real estate investor who's sick and tired of living deal to deal, then welcome home. Hear from everyday real estate investors just like you and discover how they've completely transformed their business by taking a profit-first approach. This is the Profit First for REI podcast, where we believe revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. It's time to start making profit a habit in your business. So here's your host, David Richter.
1: Today, we have Kathy Fetke of the RealWealth.com and Real Wealth Network. I am super excited to have her on today. She gives great information. If you're looking to go from the wholesale flip side to the passive side, she is a great resource. Talks about her journey, but then talks about the passive side of investing. So many people I run across want to jump into the rentals, multifamily, syndications, all that. She gives some great advice. Listen to this episode. Become more knowledgeable and get in her network as well, too. She can help you as well. Thank you for being a listener and enjoy the episode. Hey, it's David Richter here again of the Profit First RII podcast here with Kathy Fetke of the Real Wealth Network. Super excited because she has made a huge impact. Lots of investors lives and excited to have her on the show. So, Kathy, thanks for being a guest today on the show. Thank
0: you so much. Happy to be here.
1: Okay, so let's just dive right into it. What even made you want to start Real Wealth Network and like make the impact that you've made today?
0: Uh, You know, I'd like to say that uh, I had an idea of what we were going to create, but I really didn't. At the time, it was a desperate attempt to understand how some people created this thing called passive income and were creating wealth, and I wanted to know how they did it. I didn't know anyone personally who was independently wealthy.
1: (laughs) Okay. So that's how you start, but then how did it transform into what you? I mean, what, did you start buying properties? Did you go through the ups and downs? Like, tell me a little bit about the journey.
0: Yeah, it really started with a, a radio show that I had in San Francisco uh, when my husband was told he had six months to live um, when they discovered he had melanoma. We had two young kids. I was a stay-at-home mom. I had been working in in the news business, but you know hadn't for years. So that was terrifying. Not to mention, you know the thought of losing my husband but also not knowing how to support my family. Rich is healthy and fine today so that's the good news. But what this moment in time did for me is had me really realize I I need to have a backup plan because the saving the 10% you know in investment and 10% in emergency savings you can blow through that really quickly in an emergency. And I wanted to be with my family and be able to have this thing called passive income, you know, like where money's still coming in and you're not working. I just thought that was incredible. And how do you do that? So I just shifted my entire radio show. It was just a Saturday show that I kept while I was a stay-at-home mom and shift to that concept of like, how do you do that? And I started interviewing people and that's really how it started. The listenership of the show, they wanted more information too. They wanted the same thing I wanted. So together we learned. This was before podcasts, before blogs, you know, it was like, it was hard to get the information.
1: Okay. So that's what started. It sounds like that's what started your educational journey too, down that road and interviewing people and then get, what did you start buying properties then? Like, was there one magic episode where you're like, okay, I got to go do this or I don't know. How did you actually get started with the first property?
0: Well, you know, when we need money, you know, we need things, you get desperate, right? You make things happen. And we were in that position, so I thought, "Well, how do I make money when I'm? I still want to be home." And the first thing that came to my mind was sponsorships, Mm -hmm. uh, because I did have the show, and I hadn't really worked on getting sponsorships. So at the time, that's when mortgage brokers were getting paid lots and lots of money. This is back in two thousand four. So I called all the mortgage brokers I could find, and finally got one. And the only way I was able to get that sponsor to pay what I was asking was to offer kind of a co-host position. And he said, yes, but I came home from that going, oh no, Rich, I've just sold out. Now I have a mortgage show. I'm going to lose my audience. And Rich said, well, why don't you just find out what they're doing with those loans? And that's kind of how it started where I started to really understand what kinds of things you can do with leverage. I I had no idea you could just go to a bank and get a loan because you can't on most things, but with real estate, you can because there's an asset tied behind that loan. If, If you don't pay, they take the house. So I basically, this method worked and our listeners were really fascinated as well as to what my uh, sponsor's clients were doing with those loans. So our phones rang off the hook. My sponsor said, this is far more successful than I expected. So why don't you get your mortgage license and help me? And uh, sure enough, our money issues were gone because back then you could, it was pretty easy to do loans and you could make a lot of money. My first loan was a million dollar refinance and at one point, which was pretty typical, actually low, a lot of other mortgage brokers charged three points, I charged one. And that was $10,000 for that one loan. So we didn't have issues with making money after that. Great news that Rich was fine. But I started to see that these loans made no sense. And that it was going to blow up because there was no qualification needed at all. You know, no backup verification, nothing. And it just made no sense to me. So I was lucky enough to interview people like Robert Kiyosaki on the show, where I would say this, like, does this make sense? And he'd say, no, it doesn't. It's going to blow up probably in 2007. And the way that I'm protecting myself is selling all my assets in these markets where prices have gone up so quickly. And he said, I'm exchanging and doing the 1031 exchange and buying in Texas because the number still makes sense. There's job growth, there's population growth, but it's still affordable. So that just made sense. So in answer to your question, it was really that interview with Robert Kiyosaki. It was like, number one, understanding the power of leverage.
1: Yeah. And
0: number two, where to use that leverage.
1: Okay. So then did you take his advice? How did you fare in the 2007, 8, 9, You know, that downturn of the market?
0: Yeah. So you could technically say that we bought at the peak because yeah. it was 2004, 2005, and even 2006 when we were buying in Texas. And those properties in Texas did fine. They stayed rented. They didn't go down in value. And then by 2013, they it just took off and prices went crazy in, in Texas. However, I didn't stick to that plan. And this is something I have learned and I teach now is stay in your lane. <laughs> you know, Don't do something that is new to you or new to someone else uh, without really researching it. Um, so if I just stuck with what, You know, I had learned from Kiyosaki, which I could see we would have really gotten through that recession with no problem. But instead, I kept a house, a couple of houses in California, because I just thought, well, California, you know, always does well. And then bought three houses in Boise, where there wasn't really a lot of job diversification at the time. There were like two major employers, and only one by the time the recession hit. We bought um, new construction in Tennessee again, all. Good markets today, but back then the the foundation wasn't there, wasn't the kind of job growth and population growth happening in Texas. The problem in Tennessee is that we got construction loans that ballooned. And by 2009, balloon means basically you got to pay it. Like once the house is built, you've got to find a way to pay off that loan. And usually that means you get another loan. Well, by 2009, you couldn't. Banks had failed, but also we were limited to 10 loans, whereas before that it was unlimited. And we had more than 10 homes. So it was like uh, we had to give those properties back to the bank because we didn't have a way to pay that balloon payment.
1: Okay. So, would you say that's one of the biggest lessons you've learned along the way? Stay in your lane, get, you know, like really dig into what you're good at. I guess, is there any other ones that you've learned that on your real estate journey that are either bigger than that or hold water to that one?
0: I've learned far too many lessons. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm too trusting. And okay. so it really does come back to what that main one is. Study, learn, know your stuff. And then you you just can't really get ripped off. It's, it's hard to fail when you know your stuff. So it is easy to fail when you don't, because that's when you trust people who you think do know. So that's kind of the issue that I had. And some of the deals that I did later is, again, venturing out into multifamily before really understanding it, uh, venturing into development before really understanding it. And that's so typical, like even a family member of mine during that time bought the house next door thinking, you know, we'll just flip it. And turns out there's a lot more to it than just like, oh, I'll fix it up and sell it for a profit, right? So a lot of us do that. And that's kind of the entrepreneurial American spirit is jumping and figure it out. But I gotta tell you, it'll be a lot easier to not dive in the deep end <laughs> to learn how to swim first. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, no kidding. So looks like early on you learned the make money skill. Cause on this podcast, Profit First, making sure that you actually have a profit at the end of the day and you're keeping money. Sounds like you learned how to make it up front, like through the mortgage industry, and then you started buying the house, so like you started on your passive income journey. Did you ever learn throughout that journey the keep money skill of like, okay. I'm going to work my butt off to get the deals in the door, but like I need to make sure that the, the money is actually being put to good use and I'm keeping some of it as well too. Like, Did you ever have that along your journey?
0: Well, and that again was what made 2009 very difficult is mm. we over leveraged. Yeah. So back then you could get, <laughs> I don't know if you know this or you might, but you could get unlimited investor loans, no money down, no verification, nothing. You just fill out some paperwork and you could get a loan. So it was pretty easy to over leverage back then. Yeah. With the Texas properties, it didn't matter. Even if no money down, you know, 100% financing, no verification, those properties still did great because the fundamentals were still there. It worked. It's like I said, with these other loans, these construction loans that ballooned, you better have a backup plan. So I'm very cautious about short-term loans, adjustable loans. That's another thing that happened a lot back then is sure you could get a loan, but it would adjust to a bigger payment. And most people were just qualifying and expecting that lower payment forever. And all of a sudden when it adjusted, ah, that's what we're seeing today in commercial real estate. So I very much stayed out of the mess that's happening today in commercial real estate. Cause I'd already been through that. <laughs> I already know what yeah. it's like to have an adjustable rate that shifts on you or a loan that's due that you can't pay, which a lot of people are experiencing today.
1: Okay. So then when did Real Wealth Network really take off? Like, when did this become more of a movement? Like, where you got a lot of people involved versus just the Saturday radio show?
0: Oh, I love that you called it a movement because that's really what it felt like. You know, back then, I, I when I just started interviewing people, I felt like I was just getting the secrets of the wealthy that nobody knew about. Because. It wasn't out there. You didn't have access to information like we do today. So I was getting these secrets and sharing these secrets with the audience. And it did become a movement and it, it grew really quickly. And because of that, I started to get invited to speak at a local real estate investment groups or RIAs as they call them. And I would sit in the audience, you know, I, they'd invite me to come speak or to be the MC or just kind of show up. And I would sit in these different groups and just be like, oh my gosh, what they're telling is incorrect. And they're misleading people and they're charging a ton of money for it. And I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I thought there's no way I can associate with these groups anymore. I don't want to, even if it's good exposure for my show and for what, you know, I didn't want to do it. I thought, okay, well, how about we just put them out of business, start our own, that's honest, that's going to tell people the truth, it's real, the secrets of building wealth. And that's when Rich and I were like, oh, real wealth, yeah, we'll call it that, real wealth. We didn't charge any money, there was never anything for sale, it was just come and learn, expand. Of course, I was a mortgage broker at the time, so it helped my mortgage business, but I just wanted people to have the information that would change their lives and was changing my life.
1: Okay. And that's what it grew into. And so, okay, so today, yeah. what do you have going? Do you do webinars, live shows like just if no one's ever heard of you, how would you explain what goes on today with real wealth?
0: Yeah, today we have the same model. We give free education, there's no fee to sign up and be a member. We give a lot of data information, try to help people understand where we are in the market, what's going on with the economy, what's a good opportunity today to help people understand investing so they know how to make decisions. If somebody says, is it a good time to invest or where should I invest? You're not ready. Like you should know. And so we want to provide that information so you have enough knowledge that you don't have to ask those questions. You just know what your next move is going to be. And so- Tons of free resources, free webinars, over 500 on our website. We do fresh ones every Thursday at noon Pacific. We do tours to different areas. Uh, this is not altruistic. Uh, we are real estate brokers. So if somebody buys a property, we do get you know a commission for that or a referral fee. But we wanna make sure that we're only referring our members to people that we have a long time relationship with. We have property teams and property management companies all across the country in the fastest growing markets that have been recommended by our over seventy thousand members it's kind of like a yelp for real estate where our members will tell us hey this property manager is great or this one isn't and if we hear negative reviews instead of just cutting them out of the network we set up a mastermind and training to find out you know what's your weak link how can this property manager in Atlanta help you in Dallas, Texas be better? You know, so we do a monthly training with them. That's also free to them to just consistently improve the services that they offer. We, we don't own those companies, but we just want them to have really high standards. If they are not able to get there, we do take them off the referral list until they've improved their systems.
1: Okay. That's very neat. So you've created this network and you've created a great education platform as well, too, that just trying to help people, it sounds like can not do, do what they need to do in the real estate space. So then what would you say to someone who's newer in the real estate space? Like, I don't know either where to start or a bigger lesson or something like that. You know, if they're looking to get into the real estate game.
0: Well, I wrote a book called retire rich with rentals to answer that question, because that question would come up a lot. And the yeah. first chapter of my book is that it's, um, where do you start? And where you start is figuring out what you need. If you are, you know, you and I might have different needs, different starting places. It's kind of like, if we both want to get to Phoenix, and let's say Phoenix is, just got a big bundle of gold, and we we want to get to Phoenix. But you're in Atlanta, and I'm in California. It's different. Yeah, we're gonna have different paths to get there. Same goal, different starting points. So that's where you, what you have to look at. And I know you teach this. It's like, where are you in your life journey and what's going to be the best strategy. If you have a really high paying job, let's say you're a doctor, a dentist, and in my case, a lot of tech workers around where I live and people in the entertainment industry, they make good money, but they have no free time. So the ultimate goal is they want more free time and they want a place to put their money that they know that over time, when they don't want to work anymore, that that money has created enough wealth that they can quit working. But then there's other people who have tons of time, they have all the time and no money. So you're going to have a different strategy, right? If you have a lot of money and no time, you're going to be looking for passive investments, or you should be. You know, I started to get invited to speak at these doctors and, you know, doctors events this past year. And it was all these doctors kind of looking to syndicate multifamily. I'm like, what are you doing? You can't be a syndicator. You know, a a syndicator means that you run a project and you're taking other people's money. If you're a doctor, you should be a doctor, right? You know, like you don't have time to do this on the side. So I was really concerned about some of that. But if, you know, if you don't want to be a doctor, well, that's fine. Quit and do something else. But if you've got a good job and you've got good money, you probably are better off investing with someone who does have time and you can invest your money with them. Make sure they have lots of experience and a track record and, uh, you know, great integrity and and values and so forth. Again, if you have lots of time, no job and no no money, you're going to have to kind of scramble like I did. I was like, oh, when we blew through our savings and our investment funds, you know, during a time of challenge, you know, you got to find out how to make some money. And then you're not, you're not in a position to invest. That's important to understand. You know, investing comes later. You got to make money now. So the way that I knew how to do that was sponsorships. So you just have to figure out how what's the best way to make money. And that might be if your job of choice is to be in real estate, maybe you'll be an active real estate investor, not passive. So active real estate investments would include flipping, you know, flipping houses, wholesaling houses, subject to, these are the types of things that become a job for you, but they create income, but it's not investing. It's not investing. So really understanding the difference is important.
1: Would you give the same advice to someone who's in real estate, but they're wholesaling or flipping or doing more of the active side? You know, it's like they already have a taste for real estate, but should they be the flipper and hire out the passive invested side? Or should they go and dive into it themselves? Like, what's your opinion on someone that's already kind of in that realm?
0: Oh, my gosh, that's such a great question. So Jamil Danji, uh, who is, uh, oh, gosh, he's one of the biggest wholesalers in the country. Yeah. I was a co-host with him on, on the market and he is great at making money in real estate as a job. What he was not great at is investing in real estate and had lost money over and over again, lost a ton of money in 2008. So on the show, he said, hey, you guys, I have the chance to wholesale this apartment building and make a million dollar wholesale fee <laughs> or I can keep it. I'm like, Jamil, wholesale it. And take that million dollars and invest with somebody who knows how to manage an apartment. You don't know how. And he goes, yeah, but I'm getting a good deal. I think I'm just going to do it. <laughs> well, He ended up yeah. losing a million. <laughs> oh. so, so, in uh, you know, it's just like, yeah, to, in answer to your question, it's the same thing. Just because it's real estate doesn't mean you know it or understand yeah. it. What he knows is wholesaling. I don't know how to wholesale. You know, if I tried to wholesale, I would not do well, maybe on the first one. Maybe I would. I don't know. But I'd have to study it really carefully. But um, you know, there's so many different ways to make money in real estate. First is understanding, is it active? Is it passive? Okay, yeah. you got to know the difference between those. And then, you know, in this case of active, where he's wholesaling, he, he didn't know really how to value a building for hold. You know, and then what the asset management processes of that right so he and i said if you're going to do this please get a partner who knows anyway uh you know i can only talk about it here because he talked about it on the show and it's already public knowledge and he'll admit that he made his mistake there which many of us have i got like i said i syndicated an apartment building without having done it on my own first and even though my partner was experienced it turns out he was kind of a shyster yeah. And it was really challenging. I had to boot him out. It was got legal involved. He lied and the, you know, a bunch of things and that's no fun. So, you know, you're, like I said, you can jump in the deep end. You'll probably survive. You might not, but your life would be a lot easier if you just started in the shallow end, right. you know, and learn how to swim.
1: Yeah. I hear that a lot, you know, from people that are in the real estate space. They just think, "Oh, I'm doing wholesale, and right? I I'm just going to buy some flips on the or rentals on the side." And it's like, hey it's a whole nother ball game there." You know, of like yeah. being able to jump into that. I like that answer because I feel like this whole theme of this episode is stay in your lane. <laughs> you know, like if you, yeah, whatever you're doing. So I think that well, like-
0: and I and I will urge everyone to yeah. learn and understand investment. Yeah, because I know too many flippers who have gotten closer to my age and I'm, I'm older. I've been doing this for 30 years. So, you know, you'll, you'll get old someday, (laughs) trust me, it happens whether you like it or not. And you don't want to be that person who says, darn it. I wish I'd kept some of these properties. You know, Mm. now what do you want to flip houses till you're 90? You know, so you've got to really determine, yeah, you can make a lot of money flipping, wholesaling, all, all that. But then what? What are you doing with that money? And there are many ways to invest it. Just make sure you do, you know, at least 10%. Follow the rules. It's a a job versus investing, and you should be doing both.
1: Well, that's good. That's good stuff. That's where it's like you've created this whole community of, you know, this real wealth network to be able to, well, it sounds like you've got a ton of resources and knowledge if they wanted to learn, you know, and go down the rabbit hole of the passive side, because that's really what you focus on is the passive side.
0: Yeah, you know, and only because I had to listen. If I lived in anywhere but where I live, I, I live in California, yeah. uh, I would be active. I think yeah. it would be fun. But you know, Rich and I, uh, we we tried enough times here buying million dollar fixers, and it's like it's hard. It's hard in a high priced market. So once I learned again from Kiyosaki that Dallas had, you know, that the most important things to look for: job growth, population growth, and affordability. It was like, okay, that makes sense. California has the job growth and population growth, not so much right now, but did. But that affordability piece, that third piece of it wasn't there. Right. So to be able to fly to Dallas and at that time by $140,000 brand new homes in A-class neighborhoods that rented for more than 1% of that purchase price so $140,000 purchase, they rent for $1,500. It was like, no brainer. Yeah. You know, just made sense and brand new so I could own it from afar, not worry too much about it. So it was really out of necessity. And then when I started talking about that on The Real Well Show, our phones blew up again, not just people who wanted mortgages, but people who wanted that because they were used to having what I, what Rich and I had, a million dollar house that rents for 3000 a month or 2000 a month you know right. they could have a million invested they could 1031 that and buy five or six properties so more diversification in a landlord friendly area with growth and, and at that time 4x or 5x their income
1: yeah wow that's the power of it. And that's the power of that knowledge, knowing that's even out there and then having someone to guide you down that path. Speaking of guiding, how do you they get in touch with you? This has been an awesome episode. So how do they become <laughs> part of that network, that community?
0: Thank you. It's really easy. Created. You just go to realwealth.com, realwealth.com. You sign up for free and uh, you can have a discussion with one of our investment counselors. That's also free. Again, we make our money if you buy and it comes from the broker, the it's broker the broker fee, it's not marked up. I know other groups like this who mark up the properties by 10 grand. I won't mention names. We don't do that. We just share this little piece of the 3%, you know, <laughs> yeah. commission. And, uh, but we do enough volume that everybody's happy. We could pay our, our uh, you know, employees. So, you know, it's, you can have that, conversation to help understand what it is you're looking for what areas there's kind of linear markets where there are more cash flow less growth and then there's growth markets where there's more chance of appreciation but less cash flow right now and yeah. depending on where you are in life one of those markets can be better for you yeah or a mix of both so we'll, we'll help you go through that so realwealth.com you can hear the real wealth show podcast and then of course i'm on um, bigger pockets on the market podcast
1: Awesome. So realwealth.com, that's where you can get a part of that community. And then sounds like you have a consultation call too with investment advisors of like, okay, here's the different opportunities there yeah. if they want to go down that road too, which is great. It's great to have education, but it's also great to take action too, once you have that knowledge. So I like that you give them an outlet for that as well too. So this has been really awesome. Is there anything else you want to leave them with before we wrap up? <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I got the chance to interview you. And I think what you're doing is so great too. just um, helping people really understand their strategy and how to scale properly, how to really understand what is the outcome. So I can't emphasize that enough. Understand what it is you're trying to achieve and stick with it stick with it. Cause it's really easy to get distracted yeah. and to say, Oh, so-and-so is doing this or, Oh, you know, they're buying notes and those guys are doing tax liens and that guy over there is doing foreclosures and you just like want to do it all. And that's where you get in trouble. So come up with your strategy, get really good at it before you look at anything else. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's really good. If you're listening to this and you need someone like that in your life to make sure they're pointing you in the right direction from the financial standpoint, you could head over to simplecfo.com, grab one of our fractional CFOs, because if you like making money, you need to keep it too need someone there that understands that side that can help you especially if you're thinking about jumping from wholesaling flipping to rentals it's like okay what are the numbers before you get into that i don't want you losing a million dollars like jamil So it's like <laughs> making sure you know what's going on before you jump into it scaling profitably like she said this is great stuff thank you kathy for being a great guest today on the show and remember if you are listening to this make profit a habit in your business and kathy thank you once again
0: thank you This episode of the Profit First for REI podcast is over, but there are plenty more where that came from. Are you ready to learn how David and his team can help implement the Profit First system in your business? Schedule a discovery call at simplecfo.com right now. We'll see you next time on the Profit First for REI podcast with David Richter.